Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time, and I'm so excited we're in Isaiah. What a great book to be looking at. And we're, we actually just finished last week, chapter one. We're looking at chapter two now. And it's really interesting. You know, chapter one, it, we talked about it. It kind of similarly, um, there's a very similar pattern to Isaiah 66, the very final chapter of Isaiah, ending on that note of, of fire, both as a, as a kind of judgment and as a kind of purifying source. And you've got that as an introduction, but then there's this hard pivot here in chapter two, and it seems like we're talking about something at a different point in time. It seems like we're talking about something that happened earlier on in Isaiah's career. We know that in chapter one, we said that he was active during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So it looks like we're earlier on now. We had a little bit of a time jump back. And you get this very interesting prophecy, a well-known prophecy, and it includes that famous line that's, you know, outside the United Nations, among other places, but they will beat their swords into plowshares. You know, poetic words, imaginative of a kind of lasting peace, but what kind of peace are we talking about? When will that peace be realized? How are we supposed to realize that peace in our own lives and in our own actions? And what is Isaiah really getting at? These are the questions we're taking up today as we look at Isaiah chapter 2. And joining us, we actually, this is a little bit of a plot twist here. We usually have uh, this this guest on when we're looking at the Psalms, but here we're looking at Isaiah 2, so hope he's not thrown off too bad. <laughs> I like We've got Pastor, way Pastor Nathan Metter. I like the Psalms way better. Yeah, that's right. I know, I know. <laughs> I know, I know, right? What's going on? All of a sudden, we give you one of these. Uh, he's a prophet. What's going on? But we got yeah, Pastor I Nathan Metter, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Plymouth, Wisconsin. Welcome back, brother. Good to be back. So, yeah, Isaiah 2, a little bit of a change of pace for you. You got that right. You know, <laughs> although, although, you know, there, there are... It is poetic in nature. You know, while it, it is, is prophetic, it is, you know, it, the, you know it, it is. it was a little, you know, I, I wish I'd... It, it took a little longer to slog through some of the Hebrew that I would to, to work with, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a, you know I always thought it was hilarious that you moved me to the Psalms because my my Greek is so much better than my Hebrew, but uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I mean it is interesting as you're saying because you know we're looking at you know it's a different genre here, but that, that's the interesting thing about looking at the prophets. I mean, it's all just poetry. I mean, there's a lot of ways where like the closest thing you have in the Old Testament to the prophets is the Psalms in a lot of respects. It's not just straight um, narrative. It's not just straight prose. It's extremely poetic. Right. And that's, that's the challenge too, whether, whether you're, you know, whether you're interpreting it in the English or translating it from the Hebrew because of the, the, the poetic nature, um, you know, sometimes you look at this and you go, what? And, mm. and 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 you know and and it, that's what makes it a longer slog because right. you know they're they're choosing a f- they're, they're they're choosing a form that you know that, yes it's communicating the Holy Spirit's in charge the Holy Spirit's in charge he's delivering his message but yet they're choosing forms of words and 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 they're turning phrases in such a way that they also fit the poetic nature of it. Uh, which you know, which you know, and, and and the sad thing is, especially we Americans, you know, 
other than the other than the cheesy lines on the birthday card, roses are red, violets are blue, you know, uh, it's your birthday and I love you, um, right. we don't do a whole lot of poetry anymore. I mean, uh, the scary thing is the closest we get to poetic things anymore is probably modern-day rap, which is just makes my ears bleed. Um, but, but, you know, so, but if you think about it, you know, we would have, I think, I think the hearer today yeah. would have just as much of a challenge picking up a Shakespearean sonnet as they do taking up some of these texts, just, just from yeah. the linguistic side of it. Oh, yeah, no, cer- certainly no, and, and, and um, you know, we we tend to read out of, and I've been following the English Standard Version, which has a lot of merits to it, and I've been following, I think, mostly because it just it's the one translation that we use in our Lutheran Study Bible, which I know a lot of our listeners have and, and use as a resource. But yeah, no, there's a lot of instances where the English Standard Version can be pretty challenging to to read. It's it's rather advanced. Um, you know, I think I think when you do the, they sometimes evaluate translations and other written works in terms of their reading level. And so I think that when you look at the English Standard Version, it comes out to be somewhere in high school, um, which you, you think to yourself like, oh well, I mean, you know, most of us are past high school but i mean the thing is i mean you know you, you look at like what that means it's like it's actually pretty advanced like like you were saying yeah, go like, pick up go pick up and read you know emily bronte or some you know, some some european some of that uh, some of that continental lit that we used to read in in <laughs> high school that nobody touches anymore exactly you know, like, yeah no, exactly right yeah so it, it can it can be challenging and and, and it's challenging because you know the, the kind of translation that you got and then what you're getting, I think, is kind of the big underlying point that translating poetry is hard, and, and, and poetry is just something that's already kind of just unfamiliar. I, I was thinking, though, this, this is actually some, a conversation I was just having. Um, someone was so kind, a good family friend, um, was was so kind as to give my daughter, our, our three-year-old, um, some Dr. Seuss books. And, you know, Dr. Seuss is certainly poetic you know and it's just fantastic the sort of poetry because it's not like the kind of just you know roses are red violets are blue kind of thing but it's um i mean it's certainly a a, a kind of poetry but it's a little bit more advanced than that but the thing is i was thinking about no matter how small yes yes yeah yeah. (laughs) you know i i love dr seuss so the thing is that we usually read to our daughter in spanish though but i mean they were saying well i looked and looked and i could not find a spanish translation of this stuff and i was saying well I'm not surprised because to translate Dr. Seuss into Spanish, I don't even know where to begin with something like that. Well, I have I, you know, sometimes I have trouble. I, I have trouble interpreting poet poetry in English, let alone translating it into a different <laughs> language. But you know, and again, yeah. that's the challenge. You know, again, you, not to get too far afield here. That is the nature. That's one of the reasons why they make us at the seminary take Greek and Hebrew. Right, uh, because as a um, uh, you know, as one of my profs used to say, all translations are commentaries. That's true. Because one of the, one of the realities is that that a and an, a Semitic language like Hebrew, or a Cyrillic language like Greek, um, they're not only not only are there you know the, the Hebrew characters are funky, they go the wrong direction, and the Hebrew would look at us and say we go the wrong direction, <laughs> kind of like you know driving driving in England or whatever. Right. Um, but but you know the, the 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 mechanics of it is different, the vocabulary is different, the grammar is different, 
And, and, and so and only on that, but the worldview that it captures is different. Right. So not only so when we translate from the original into English, we run this we, we, we run this great challenge of not only translating the vocables. You know, because yeah, right. you, know, you 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 can't look you you can't look at a word that means dog and say cat and call it a translation. But you know you can you know the 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 cultural import that comes with it too has right. to come across in your translation, which is one which is one of the reasons why you know it looks like the alphabet soup can explodes at the Bible store because you've got all these different translations because you have all these different interpretations, right. Yeah, that, that, that's so true, especially when you're looking at poetry here. It's just inevitably you are doing some interpreting as you translate. You can't escape it with poetry. Maybe with some of the straight storytelling, you can kind of avoid it, you know, largely. Um, not that you fully can even there, but here, yeah, it's in there. So part of our challenge today will be trying to uh, re- really just help our listeners to interpret um, and and not merely just you know what do the words mean, but this is poetry. How does it fit together? What's the poetic? In other words, logic? you're not just going to let me run. It. You're not going. You're not going to let me run out the clock here because some of this stuff is going to be a challenge. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> will be. But let's, let's let's get let's get to it though, right? So as as we begin, would you say a prayer for us and everybody listening that God would guide us to the interpretation that He has for us? Father, this is Your Word, just like this is Your day. And we are recipients of your Messiah. We thank you for each one of these gifts, and we pray that we would indeed be faithful stewards of them, receiving the gift uh, as from your heart, and using it as faithful uh, as faithful stewards of that message, realizing that each one of these words, whether it's narrative or poetry, points us to Jesus, to a concrete, fleshy reality of a salvation that you have accomplished in time and for eternity. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would be among us as we as we read, as we contemplate, as we discuss, as we ask and answer questions, uh, that what is revealed is not the mere prattle of men, but of the God who speaks in such a way uh, to convict and kill, to resurrect, to make alive for eternity, all in the person and work of Jesus. We pray this in his most precious name. Amen. 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 Indeed, it's not just poetry, it's God's poetry. So that's that's the whole other next level, right? But let's go ahead and read the first portion here, verses 1 to 4, and that's going to give us plenty to chew on just in this first part. We'll have to ask some questions like, okay, when are we talking about it? I kind of said a little bit in the introduction. Um, you know, like what what kind of poem are we reading? So let's read the first four verses, and then we can kind of talk about these sorts of introductory matters. Verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. 
They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. All right, we'll pause right there. So, I mean, you know, we already have that, that verse I mentioned that, that's you know, well known and beloved by uh, many people who advocate and work on behalf of the cause of temporal peace um, in, in this world. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. Plowshares. So, I mean, it seems like, you know, perhaps this is some sort of like idyllic poem. Maybe that's a, one question to ask. Another one is, what's, what's the perspective here? Because like we were saying in, in Isaiah chapter 1, you know, you get this introduction that mentions four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Um, and here in the beginning of chapter 2, you just get this, you know, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw doesn't say when. It doesn't need to be even following chapter 1 here. This could be any time during those four kings. So we got to figure kind of out, like, well, what, what are we talking about here? Well, and actually, this is one of the, this, this is one of the things. As you read this, you know, um, understanding the context, because it, it, this is really count, counterintuitive to where we, where we kind of meet Israel in his timetable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this is this this is you know to 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 steal a word of, from the psalms you know since i'm usually been the psalms guy <laughs> this this is this is like this is like an ascent thing yeah this is an ascent thing we going up and and again yep. that's the thing in israel you went up to jerusalem because it was a right. mountain Mm-hmm. You know, so you went up, and it was a great thing. You know, the psalmist would say, "Oh, you know, I, you know that there was joy in going up to the house of the Lord. Yay, right. rah! We're going to go up there." And yet, he's speaking this in Israel when they are in spiritual and eventually political freefall. The nation is unraveling. You know, uh, as you as you go through as you go through these, um, you know, as you named off the kings. Right. You're finding the vast majority of those kings. Even 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 Hezekiah is only a blip on the radar. Okay. Yeah. You know, you've got this descent, 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 and finally Hezekiah's get. You know, you know, the prophet goes in and says, "Dude, get yourself in order. You're going to die." And he whines and complains. He cries out to God, like like a like like a a, a penitent faithful would do. And God gives him more time. And then what does he do? He shows everything off to Babylon, and says, "Oh yeah, by the way." Um, you're going to lose it all anyway. You know, so, so we get all this going. So, so, so you, I, I think what you can begin to see is there is, a, there, is an, there is a divergence of the path of God's people and God himself. Okay. Um, but what, what, we, what we begin to see here is that even as Israel falls apart, you know, even as Israel falls apart, the mission of Messiah is still on track. God is still going to teach his people. The focal point is still going to be Jerusalem. We're still going to get back here because, you know, this idyllic messianic peace is something. And, and, and really what we're doing, too, is when we read these, we're reading, we're not reading the moment. We're reading through the moment into where God is taking us. Right. And I, I, I think that's, that's, that's the major point, is, is even though the nation in itself is falling apart around the promise of Messiah, there's right. still going to be this remnant there. You know, they, they kind, of, kind of go back to the, day, you know, the Elijah moment. You know, he has, this great, he has this great victory over the prophets of Baal, 
and then within a couple within a couple verses he's whining in a in a cave somewhere because he's the only one left and god basically says quit your whining get back to work there's 7000 who haven't bowed the knee to baal there will always be this remnant so as you have this divergence between god's mission and god's people god's mission still continues Yes. So so I think that's helpful to identify that there are these, there's these trajectories, like you were saying, and that, yeah. you know, it's true that if we compare Uzziah and Jotham and um, ah- Ahaz and then Hezekiah, you know, there's certainly different kings that, I mean, especially when we get to, you know, uh, these later chapters where Isaiah is going to be like talking to those kings, they're they're pretty distinct in some ways, um, and, and the trajectories of their rule are, are very different, you might say. But overall, there is this this downward unraveling trajectory, like you were saying. It, it seems yep. like even though, yeah, maybe like Hezekiah seems to kind of move the needle back in the other direction a little bit, it's like the overall the trajectory is we are going down from when we had David. Um, right. we're, we're not going back to that time. It, things have gotten worse. So it, it's, you know, even if we struggle to identify exactly okay so what this chapter two is this uh, is this from the perspective of the days of jotham is this from the perspective of the days of hezekiah even if we don't quite get that right or we're unsure we can say yeah you know it's it's during that time and it kind of fits the trajectory both in terms of you know the problem as you were saying but then also the solution because the problem is that we, we we're just th- these kings are letting us down e- even if it's hezekiah he's still not living up to the the expectations of god the expectations we had of messiah and it's going to take a special kind of messiah or it's going to take the ultimate kind of messiah the true king and, and that's really the theme that we had yesterday too you know we were looking at those those chapters we looked at it was in the gospel reading we had luke 15 and we had ezekiel wasn't it ezekiel 34 it was that yep. that she- that language of like you know good shepherd right you know, i got, the lord will shepherd my people exactly right like you know ezekiel's got this vision of yeah all these shepherds all these you know kings all these messiahs they've they've been let you know they've been failed messiahs they've been you know let down kings they've been bad shepherds been faithless shepherds and so the only solution is if God's going to come and be the shepherd and he's going to actually go and provide the Messiah himself directly. So there's that trajectory. And so even if we can't be totally sure of what's going on, we, we're getting that that idea. And this is, you know, make no mistake about it, a messianic prediction that as you get into verse 4 and it says, he shall judge between the nations. What are we talking about? We're talking about God coming installing his king, his chosen anointed king, to rule not just over Israel, but over everybody. Think about this for a second. If you listen to some of the language and the way he describes what this kingdom is going to be like, you know, I I, I can remember, this just struck me as you were reading it again, this sounds like you could read these, you know, if for those who would might long hearken, you know, those who had been at the at contemporaries of Isaiah, hearken back to what it was like when Solomon was king. David's mm. son, you know, David's son, who turns out to be, you know, you know, almost apostate, if not apostate, by the end of his life, you mm. know, but, you know, he was, he was David's son, and, 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 and he, they, they, he was renowned for his wisdom. Mm-hmm. They did come to him. You think you know. You think of the right. Queen of Sheba, right. you know, coming to him, and you know, he was considered wise. 
and, and yet, you know, so, so, but this is not the good old, this is not the, the prophet commiserating for, oh, if we could only, you know, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, if we could only go back to 1957, everything would be great. Or if we could only go back to 15, you know, if only we could only go back to 1570 or 1580, everything would be great. But, but, but what we're talking about is there is a, for, you know, God, God is never, he's not a repristinization God, he's a resurrecting God. Okay, so the old goes away, the new comes, and the new is even better than the old because the old is simply a shadow of what is to come. And and yeah. and so and that's the you know you know you can sit here and there are so many people in in Israel who could say if only we could have it like the old days. You know, well he's like no the old days weren't that the old days a weren't that great, and b what's coming is even better. But to yeah, get there, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna run into some we're gonna run into some garbage before we get there. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's that's actually a little bit of the, the, the tension because on on the one hand, yeah, it, it's not as you said, like God is not just you know going to try to bring us back to 1957. He's it's not like oh well we had the good old days and we're just going to get them back. The idea is we get something better. Yet the tension is that. It, it, we're we're going further and further away from it. It seems, you know, like we we, right. we it, on the one hand we we know and we believe in faith that we are the, the day is drawing near, right? We're cut, we're getting closer to that day, but in the meantime, it looks like we're getting further and further away, you know, because ever since David, like you were saying, things seem to have been going just downhill, and so it, it seems like you know if we're ever going to get you know to this glorious day, we're going to need to start going back. You know, I'm reminded of of C.S. Lewis where he says. Sometimes the best way forward is to double back and go and turn turn around because you've gone off track. And so the best way forward is to go back, figure out where you got off the rails, right, and then proceed from there. So you know, it, it feels like we need to go back first, and and then we'll be able to go forward to what God has in mind. And yet, God's not going to simply just take us back to what's what's old. So the old is, on the one hand, kind of giving us an idea of what we should be looking for, but the new is going to be better. So when we look at verse 4 and it says that the Messiah is going to judge between nations, I mean, I mean, things were great under David, but David, he just ruled the United Kingdom um, of Israel and Judah. He didn't, you know, rule the other nations. You know, when it talks about beating, you know, the swords into plowshares, you know, we put that on the motto. That, that, that's like, isn't it like on like the monument outside the UN or something like that? It is. It um, is. But but it's like you know, but this is talking about not quite anything the world has ever seen because this is talking about a a single government, a single ruler over all people. This isn't talking about everyone in cooperation and like on a committee or a council. This is talking about there is a chosen king that God has appointed over everybody, and I don't think the UN has that in mind. <laughs> You're not one of those New World Order guys, are you? Let me put on my tinfoil hat and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, but again, it's a you know, and the problem is, again, translating not only the words, yeah. but the culture. And not just the culture of Israel in their depravity, but the culture that God is calling into reality by his word. You know, and, and, and the point is, you know, when we think of peace, we think, you know, and, and, and when you read this, when you read this on a plaque outside of, of the United Nations, you, 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 you are automatically reading political peace, yeah. which means the absence of conflict. 
and that is not at all what God is, you know, that, you know, that is, that is not necessarily what God means, you know, when it comes to peace. We're talking complete restoration and, 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 um, and resurrection, new life. There is no enemy anymore. This isn't just, uh, you know, this isn't just the, the we're going to sign an agreement and not shoot each other across the parallel in, in, uh, in Korea. Right. You know, we're just going to stare at each, and we're, we're going to spend the next sixty or seventy years staring at each other. Right. You know, this is this is a this is a, a a new this is a new creation piece, right? And not just an absence of hostility. And that's what the that's what the messianic age is going to is, is going to you know usher in. The problem is, like you said, I'm looking around me, and I'm going, you know, whether whether you're whether you're Isaiah back then. Or your your uh, Espinosa and Meta right now. You're looking around in the world. and You're going. Uh, this don't look like. This doesn't look very messianic right now. Right. It just and looks. It, it, it just look. It looks really messy. Not messianic. It, right. Yes. <laughs> well. Well. That's that's a nice poetic turn of phrase. And it's a hey, maybe a good you know, one. I'm to... telling you, I got to do. I got to do poetry. <laughs> you know. That's right. Well, let, let let's let that be the the concluding thought here for this first segment. Here we got to go into a break. But everybody, hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter two on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. I'm Gary Duncan, the General Manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message and pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news. AM 850 in St. Louis, worldwide at KFUO.org. everybody to thy strong word i'm pastor aj espinosa and we're joined today by pastor nathan metter pastor of saint john lutheran church in plymouth wisconsin looking at isaiah chapter 2 looking at this i mean this poetry here it's not just prophecy it's poetry 
and we were just reflecting on the, this phrase, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, talking about some of the meaning there. If you've got a question or comment for us, for, for me and Pastor Metter here, please do give us a call, 314-821-0850, or anyone you can call even outside of St. Louis, 1-800-730-2727, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So, you know, we were just, uh, and I love that turn of phrase, right? Yeah, we're looking at things, and things are messy, not messianic. We're, and we're seemingly going further and further away from this messianic vision. And, and we got to be clear, this is messianic. This isn't just we're all going to agree to, you know, not shoot each other, but we're going to be, you know, armed to the teeth on, you know, both sides of the demilitarized zone, right? Um, this is actually, we're, we're getting rid of it because there, there's no more need, Um and and the the key thing, right? The first thing is what's what's it say? And there in verse three, everyone is saying, "Let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, that we may walk in His paths." This is talking about an age where everyone wants to not even, not only just you know have have uh, merely political peace, like uh, agree to disagree kind of thing. But actually, we're all going to follow the same God. We're all going to worship the same God. We're all going to live according to the ways that God has spelled out. That's talking about a deeper kind of peace. And I think that was, brother, the point you were just making. It's not political peace in that it's not merely political peace. I mean, it is political peace. I mean, like, you know, there's actually no more fighting or bloodshed. But it's that it's that way because it's an even deeper peace that's actually transformed the hearts of everyone. You know, and and I was just thinking of this too. You know, we're, we're talking you know, as as when we see, you know, this is uh, again, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ to to import a to import some some New Testament into this. But you sit there, and and where is you know where is the highest point of the Messianic age? You want to talk about something that looks that that looks most out of place. You know, it's the hours of darkness outside of Jerusalem on Good Friday. What looks like the biggest injustice, the biggest mess, which then ushers in the greatest peace of all time, and that's the restoration between God and a fallen creation. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know, so and so so really, what Isaiah is setting the tone for, and you know, this is part of the reason why you know it's it's not an overstatement. You know, it's not an overstatement to call Isaiah, you know, with all due with all due respect to to J.S. Bach, it's not out of it's not out of uh, the realm of appropriateness to call Isaiah the fifth evangelist, because you know, as you get deeper and deeper into this, you know, there, there's such a great as you get deeper into the book of Isaiah, there's such a great juxtaposition between the evil of man and the fall of Israel. And, and yet the ongoing graciousness of God, the darker it gets, the light, the brighter the light is at the end of the tunnel. Right. And, and, yeah, and that's that, a tremendous thing. Well, and that reminds me just, I mean, you know, I, I mentioned it before, but like the readings we had in church yesterday, I mean, like in Ezekiel 34, he actually says, I will seek out my sheep. I'll rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered. What's it say? On a day of clouds and thick darkness. Thick and so darkness. we're, we're, we're going to see that here too in Isaiah, that... 
yeah, there's this salvation that comes from God. There's this um, inauguration of a messianic age, but it seems that you get all this light and salvation, but you get it through a day of darkness, a day of thick clouds, a day of fire. There, there's, there's something really dark about it that actually brings in the light, paradoxically. But let's well, actually... And you, have, and you have to contemplate darkness. You know, the darkness is what... The stark reality, the stark contrast between light and darkness. And, yes. and the amazing thing is, you know, I use this illustration a lot when I teach. Um, whenever light and dark do battle, the light always wins. Mm-hmm. You know, the light it, always wins. That's right. The, the light, the light cleaves the darkness, and the darkness mm-hmm. does not overcome it. And um, actually, and, and this is just uh, the other side of it too. Um, I mean, really, I mean, the, the darkness is, is serving the light in that it's just paving the way for it, that if we're going to have a new day, if there's going to be a tomorrow, there's got to be a tonight, right? And so it's got to get darker before it gets lighter, you know? And so that, that I think is the, the, we were kind of talking about the paradox of it seems how, like, hang on a second, we seem to be getting further and further away from the messianic ideal. Every king we have seems to be worse than the king we had before. Um, you know, and th- and that's a feeling that, you know, you might have, you know, back in Isaiah's day, you know, looking at Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. You know, that's, a, that's certainly a way that people have felt in modern times as well. But that's the thing. It's got to get darker before it gets lighter, before that dawn actually comes. Um, when we read these next several verses, I, I think not only will that begin to come, become a little bit apparent that things are indeed dark, but I think we're also going to be able to kind of get a better sense of where all this is being located on the timeline here. Uh, what kind of what, what kind of situation are we talking about? Is it was it something under Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, etc.? But let's go ahead and, and read the next, maybe just through verse eleven, and I think that'll kind of be able to help us answer some more of these questions. So we we left it off at verse four. So here's verse five, which is a turning point. O house of Jacob, come, let's walk in the light of the Lord. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. All right. Well, let's let's pause there. And um, actually, you know, uh, I just noticed here, I, I actually, this was from a couple of minutes ago here, I got a note here that we actually had a caller on the phone. We had Cheryl calling in with a question about Isaiah and a connection to John. Um, brother, you were just mentioning a connection to, to John, I think, as well, the idea of like the yeah. darkness. If, if we still have Cheryl, why don't we go ahead and um, we just read this next part, but before we kind of just dive into that and completely lose whatever Cheryl was thinking about, if we could have Cheryl's question. Oh, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> it was, I was looking at verse 12 first, and okay. then I noticed back there in verse 3, too, that yeah. both those verses 
like mm-hmm. 12 says, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Mm-hmm. And, and then verse 3 said, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Well, yeah. in John 12, it really seems like John uh, 12, like this whole section uh, from verses 27 to 36, that John is just echoing of what um, what Isaiah is saying, because like verse uh, 31, now is the judgment of this world. This is Jesus talking. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And then he later he says, the light is among you for a little while longer. He, he is the light that we're, okay. So it just seems like that whole section is just all John is, is echo, trying to echo what Isaiah is prophesying. Yeah, very, very good. Thank you, Cheryl. Appreciate appreciate the comment and the observation there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of connections you can make here. I think not only to John, that theme of the proud being humbled and the humbled being lifted up, that's one that you got all over Scripture. I mean, it's all over the Old Testament. I mean, it's 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 something that you see well before Isaiah. It's all over the Torah. It's all over Moses. Um, you know, I mean, it's in Genesis. That idea. I mean, just think about you know, um, you know, like what happens continually, right? You've got, you know, just you know, Abraham, um, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. The lowly are brought up, and the the high and the mighty are brought down. So it happens again and again. Um, and so whether you see that in the Gospel of John, or I mean, you've got it in the other, um, you've got it like in Luke, for example. I mean, think of think of the Magnificat. You know what Mary sings, right? that same theme of the high and mighty being brought down. So it's one that gets echoed and echoed again. The thing I think that stands out to me is uh, what you were saying about all things, everyone, all nations being drawn to him. I think that language in John there, I mean, because you got to think about that. This is, we read this in John 12 after the triumphal entry, after Palm Sunday, you know, he comes in and there's this idea that he's going to be lifted up and all men will be drawn to him. And just, I mean, it's it's so fascinating because it's just like Pastor Metter was saying, right? You, you think in this vision here, Isaiah 2, it sounds very glorious, like, yes, we know the, the house of God is going to be lifted up, right? The house of God, and of course, what's the house of God mean? That means the temple of God, right? So the temple is going to be lifted up, and everyone's going to be drawn to him. It's going to be a great, glorious day. But think about it. What, is, what does John say about Jesus? He's referring to the temple of his body, and when his body is lifted up, it will draw all men to itself. But it's a day that doesn't seem so glorious. It's a day that's very dark. Yeah, Pastor Matter, your thoughts? Well, and then jump ahead, and jump ahead, you know, and at, at not the risk of stealing somebody's thunder, you know, but, you know, like, you know, 50 weeks from now. But when you, <laughs> when you think about how he describes that one who is lifted up, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, there's nothing about him that, that should draw us to him. You know, we pull out his beard, you know, all this kind of, you know, they, they spit at him. They, they turn away from him, you know, and, and, and you know, so, so what you see already, you know, again, this is not the prophet Isaiah longing either for a, a, a repersonalization or a, an unattainable utopia. He's pointing us to the messianic reality, which, again, going to darkness to light, 
you know, you, you know, you're you're going to see him lifted up, and what you're going to look at is not going to look very glorious, but it is, because this is this is the inauguration of God's kingdom. This is right. the one that everybody's going to be drawn to, and when and and okay, and then we can when this is when it's ultimately revealed in the resurrection. You know, then we're you're right. There is not going to be any war anymore. We are we we know we can beat our short, our, our 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 swords into plowshares because the the ultimate source of all hostility, which is the 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 brokenness that exists between God and man, will will now be fully restored. Right, and and, and that that you know, and then that's what real peace is. You know, uh, you think about it. You know, you, let's do a little poetic play on words. Jesus goes to the cross to pick up the pieces to establish true peace. Very, very good. I have to add that one to the list here. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's that's true, right? I mean, you know, he he has to be broken in order for us right. to be truly unified, and like all the rest right. of it. There's there's so much paradox, and and the paradox is, um, I mean, it's there's something poignant about it um there's something profound about it the the thing that's difficult like you were saying is that in order for us to embrace this vision of 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 peace true peace that comes through the messiah we have to have our perspective change you know we have to be able to see that there's going to be something good that comes out of this this darkness um, there's going to be something good and and godly that comes out of what seems to be shameful in the mystery of the cross. And and that means that we're going to have to turn our backs then on all the bright, shiny things of the day, of the moment. Correct. We're going to have Correct. to look around and say, you know, all this stuff, as good as it looks and as promising even as it looks for, for temporal peace, this stuff is is not real peace. And And I think that's the turn here in Isaiah, that same turn that... You know, he's like, hey, look, guys, I've got this messianic vision of peace in the future, right? But if you want that peace, you know, it sounds great, right? You're going to have to give up this stuff right now because that's the turn, verse 5 and then verse 6. Because right. he's saying, look, guys, this, what you have, you're going to have to let go of this if, if you want what I'm promising you. If you want that messianic priest where everyone's streaming to the house of God— you've got to give this up because this right now, this is a mess. And what does he say? Like it's uh, you know, the house of Jacob here, this, this settlement that we have in Judah, it's full of fortune tellers. It's for of like the full of the stuff of, of paganism. Yeah. We've got, we've got silver and gold and chariots, but it's, it's all a bunch of idols and idolatry and arrogance. So, I mean, and th- so this is this is the turn. If we're going to get to this messianic age, we're going to have to admit that what we have now is not that. We're going to have to say, yeah, we we repent from this. God, please come and bring us what you have in mind. So th- this is the turn, and this is also, I think, what kind of helps us to understand what we're talking about. This does seem like he's talking about perhaps um, something during the days of Jotham or Ahaz, you know, like there was a lot of prosperity that entered in under Uzziah, but then a lot of idolatry that just got really bad under Jotham and Ahaz. And so it seems perhaps like he's saying um, maybe to the people of that day, hey, as good as things look right now, you have to change your perspective and see how this is actually really bad. Well, you know, and and how often have we seen that in in times of economic prosperity? It is very difficult to 
find the need for God. Right. You know, when 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 all but two point, when all but three percent of the of the workforce is working, right, and making making more than you know, or making a, a sustainable wage, right. You know, what do I need somebody providing me for? I go to work every day. Right. I feel it. You know, my alarm clock goes off in the morning. I, I I work and then I cash my paycheck and then I do go do what I want to do. And 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 what happens is that breeds a huge reliance on self. Yep which doesn't leave room for reliance on God. Right. Well, well, it's just like in verse 11 there, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. I mean, it's it's Isaiah reminding us, the thing is, guys, this this kind of, you know, arrogant prosperity that you're enjoying right now, like every arrogant prosperity of humankind, it doesn't last. And man, when when you come off the high, you come off the boom, the bust hurts you know i mean like you've got all this right now but at what cost have you done it um you know every every time we have these little like you know mini seasons of peace and prosperity it's only because we've um, made off like bandits and we've taken advantage of somebody we've made a lot of enemies with somebody and like the the payment comes due um at some point or another and so i mean part of part of having that perspective of saying this isn't good is is coming to the sobering realization that it's not going to last and we, we better humble ourselves or else the the bust is going to be that much more painful the roaring 20s give way to the tw- to to October 29 in the early 1930s right you know, that's it, right you know when you know when and and unfortunately you know you you get caught, everybody gets caught up in it too and you know this is where we're at today i mean we've got such a high level of prosperity and and it is very easy even for the most faithful to to get sucked up into it and right. and, and and that's why it's it's critical that each one of us are you know we're in tune to to these words saying hey this will not last Right. There's the, the, only one the, thing that does last. Yes. Well, yes. No, no. And that, and that's and that's just right. And it's I, I like what you're you brought up the historical example of like the 20s and the 30s because because this works right on both the temporal side and the spiritual yeah. side. That on the one hand, yeah, you know what? Um, all this prosperity. I mean, it's kind of like prosperity with monopoly money like you know like you have you have you looked at the national debt have you looked at the deficit you know i mean like it just can't last just in terms of economics but then you know it's like what you were saying it it can't last because the only lasting thing right is the word of god and if we're far from the word of god i mean what what is it built on this is a house of cards it's just waiting to get blown over it's a house built on sand there's no sound foundation if you're far from the word of god this can't last on a on a deep fundamental level and so uh yeah economic you know voodoo economics doesn't last in the same token voodoo spirituality doesn't last the bubble bursts and the bubble bursts, and we see what happens. You know, uh, we, we saw what happened as recently as 2008. Right. You know, when 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 a bubble burst. You know, and you have all these people who were within 10 years of retirement realizing, okay, they don't get to retire now. It, right. it, cha- it changed the trajectory of the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is when a spiritual bubble bursts, it, it threatens the direction of your eternity. Right. If you're built on the wrong foundation. You know, if 
you're built on the wrong foundation and, and you see Jesus as a prosperity guy or you see Jesus as a, a you know as something other than that Messiah that is raised up on the cross of Calvary for you uh, for the forgiveness of your sins you're the, the crash is going to be precipitous and the damage long-lasting right yeah no there's it, when when th- when things seem just really ridiculously good, you know, unprecedented levels of prosperity, we should have some alarm bells going off because uh, we look around. Well, we sound like a bunch of spiritual eors, but the reality is, <laughs> the 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 the, re- the reality is, yeah. you know, the pro- when it gets when it gets too good, the first thing we do is trust in ourselves. That's right. That's right. Well, well, hang on. Let's. So we, we've taken a look at this. Um, you know, we, we've we've kind of related it to our own day. We've we've considered that. You know, yes, in their day, after the prosperity of Uzziah, you know, there was just all kinds of un, unprecedented level. I mean, you can talk about, especially King Ahaz. You know, he's a mm-hmm. prominent figure for all the wrong reasons in Israel's history. So, in, I mean, prominent the, dirt ball. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know, you've got a lot of just arrogance, a lot of uh, apostasy, a lot of just mixing of religion and importing the idols. Yeah, they're silver and gold, but they're silver and gold statues of, I mean, you know, Baal and, you know, characters like that, like you were mentioning. So we've kind of consider it, considered it in his day as well. But let's look here. We've kind of only considered, though, the first half. Let's read the second half, and then we can take a, just a couple minutes here in conclusion to kind of wrap it up. So we left it off at verse 11. So let's pick it up here at verse 12 here. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that's lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled." And the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away, and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they have made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? So, I mean, just my, my goodness, you know, this, uh, this positively of, Job right there. Positively. Yeah. Who, who were yeah. you? Who do you think you are? Where were you when I was doing all this? And you think you can fashion all this stuff out of your own hands and, and you think you can be in control. Let me show you, you know, to, to borrow a phrase from, from you know, it's like, let me show you. Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's a little you know, up here. We have this one phrase. See, so you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And, and, and somebody up here says, hold my beer. You know, watch me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, right. that's, that's, right. that's, that's how, that's how Wisconsinite says, watch me. He's, he, you know, he, here, right. hold my beer, you know, yeah, and, no. and that's exactly, you know, and, and we're setting this all up, all these things that, all these things that you trust in, you know, and, and, and 
really, in all honesty, even at some of the highest points, you know, look at all the you know, all these things he talked about: Cedars of Lebanon, Oaks of Bashan, right. uh, the, the ships of Tarshish. These are like the, you know, and 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 he's saying what you got isn't even like that. And if they're all going to be gone, what's going to happen to you? Right. If that's yeah, all no, going to be gone, right. what's going to happen to you? Well, and there's quite a vivid description of it, right? It's like well, you, you guys are going back to the Stone Age, man. Like when when God gets, you know, when you know when uh, God has his moment of, you know, hold my beer, like you were saying, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be scary. I mean, he's going to go through, and everyone's going to just be like literally. Um, the, right. the description here is, you know, going and ducking in a hole in the ground or going hiding in a cave. That's the description um, that it's it's you know because God's coming, and it's like there's just there's just no. There's just no escaping this wrath. I'm reminded of, you know, what our Lord says um, when he says, you know, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's not a, that's not a phrase that refers to, God, uh, to the devil, but one that refers to God. I mean, God's the one you got to be scared of, really. I mean, this, so this is, this is that kind of same idea that, you know, we should fear God above all things because he's, he can just snap his and- fingers and bring it all to an end. And I think that that's a huge thing that you bring this up, you know, that even for us, you know, as Lutherans, sometimes we, we just, we, we just want to, we, we want to run to this, you know, when we hear Luther say, we should fear and love God so that, you know, we immediately want to run to the awe-inspiring, wow, what a big God that I have, my God's bigger than your God type thing, bumper sticker. Right, right. But no... There needs to be an element, because we, rem- we know who we are. Right. There needs to be an element of irray, real fear. Yeah. Not in the sense, you know, because you're right, you know, because if I am true to who I am, not true to who God made me to be, but if I am true to God who I am as a sinful human being, I deserve that irray. I deserve yeah. that wrath. You know, and everything, you know, and, and, and from, you know, when I'm in that state, for me to crawl in a cave and say mountains fall on me is better than being in the hands of that kind of God. Right. Yeah, no, if we're honest and, you know, we hear this word, you know, the proud will be brought low. Well, hey, you know what? Who's proud? I am. We, we all have that proud, arrogant, sinful nature. And if God's me bringing down the proud, that means he's bringing me down. So it's, it's a hard pill yep. to swallow. And it's one that you only can by the grace of God when he sends his spirit so that we can turn that that word that seems like it's so harsh um, into a word of gospel and that we can look at a cross and praise God for it all at a time today but thank you so much brother awesome having you on for a prophet here looking forward to next time back to the Psalms back to the Psalms that <laughs> <laughs> sounds good everybody right. that was pastor Nathan Metter, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Plymouth, Wisconsin, looking at Isaiah chapter 2, moving on to chapter 3 next time. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out, lhfmissions.org. Till next time, everybody, peace. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.